Good morning, everybody. Um, yes, as Ewan mentioned, this is the second of a series of five talks in the run-up to Easter, which focus on the little book in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, which we've entitled God's Relentless Grace. Today, I want to begin by asking a question. Can you think of a time when you've been in a really bad storm? Maybe you got caught out on a walk when the heavens opened, or maybe it was a horrendous boat journey that springs to mind. Fortunately, I've not had that many experiences of that sort, but one does linger in my memory. It must have been around 15 years ago, and we were flying back from a family holiday in France. At the time, our two sons must have been in their teens. As we were going through security and dropping off our luggage, the clouds outside were gathering and it was getting very dark. We got on the plane, as so often happens, we're sitting on the ground for what seemed like ages in a queue of aircraft waiting to take off. All the while, it's getting worse outside. Now, our plane wasn't anything like a jumbo jet. The seating arrangement didn't allow us all to sit in a row, so we booked the boys into two seats directly in front of Liz and I. Finally, the plane took off, the engines roaring in our ears. That wasn't the only sound, though. Peals of thunder rang all around, and flashes of lightning lit up the black clouds. The plane began pitching violently from one side to another, and as it hit air pockets, our stomachs were sitting in our throats. There wasn't a lot of chat. Most of us had our eyes closed. We were keeping a tight grip on the armrests and trying our best to keep our last meal down. (laughs) The boys had said nothing since we'd left the ground. Then, quite slowly, a hand appeared between the two seats in front. It was our youngest son reaching back for one of us to take hold of his hand. We didn't need to ask what he wanted. He was clearly terrified. He wasn't the only one, and he needed some reassurance that all would be well. Thankfully, after about 10 very scary minutes, we climbed above the storm clouds and arrived home safely. Today's passage in Jonah takes place in the middle of a storm at sea, a severe storm, one in which threatened the lives of everyone on board. But as we shall see, it was a storm with a purpose. To many of us here today, this part of the story in Jonah might be very familiar. And in that familiarity, we might lose sight of just how serious the situation was. Can you please turn in your Bibles to page 928, and we'll be reading from verse 4 of chapter 1 to verse 16. Now, we could read it like any other Sunday But this is such a dramatic story that I thought this morning we might see if we can bring a bit of theater into our gathering. So, Johannes, can you start the video, please? Can we add some sound to that? What about the lights? That's more like it. I'm going to ask David Eggyer if he will come and read to us. David. 
from verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the Lord fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. So they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Thanks, David. I hope you get the point. This was a life and death situation. Lives were at stake. And this morning I want to explore with you two very contrasting experiences in the middle of it all, the outcomes of which to the original audience would have seemed inconceivable. But let's be clear, this was no ordinary storm. The first verse of our passage makes that very clear. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This storm had a divine origin, and it had a divine purpose. Let's first look at Jonah. If you were here last week, you might recall that Peter spoke about God's command to Jonah to preach against the great Assyrian city of Nineveh and Jonah's refusal to do it. Let's not forget the place of privilege that Jonah enjoyed. He was a prophet, God's spokesman to the nation of Israel and to the countries around God spoke directly to him. He enjoyed God's company. His prophecy to Jeroboam had come true, and he was enjoying the popularity that that brought him. Things were going well. In turning down God's command, Jonah was in effect handing in his resignation. He no longer wanted to be a prophet. 
He had decided instead that he was going to start over in a new place and a new life. So instead of going northeast from his home at Gath-Pefer to Nineveh, he heads southwest across the Mediterranean Sea, aiming for Tarshish. At the moment of Jonah's disobedience, a downward spiral begins. He's a prophet on the run, running from God's word, running from God's service, and running from God's presence. So we pick up the narrative in verse 4. Jonah has gone down to Joppa, bought his ticket, boarded the ship bound for Tarshish, and had gone down below deck and put his head down on the pillow and fallen into a deep sleep. It's amazing. How could Jonah sleep when all around him there was total mayhem? Perhaps it was sheer exhaustion. His energies totally spent in running away from God. Or maybe it was relaxation now that he felt the crisis was over and he was safe. He's rudely awakened from his slumber by the ship's captain screaming in his ear, Get up! Call on your God! Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Imagine the scene. Coming to his senses with the noises of the howling gale in his eardrums and the timbers all around him beginning to strain and splinter, Jonah, God's man, says nothing. We don't read that he leapt to his feet and cried out to God. Why not? Jonah had nothing to say. He had nothing to offer. How could he pray when he was actively disobeying God? Even though he was the only one on board who knew the true and living God, Jonah stays silent the downward spiral takes another turn. Up above, in an act of sheer desperation, their own gods having been unable to help, the sailors decide to cast lots to see who is responsible for their calamity. The lot falls on Jonah, so they confront him with a barrage of questions. Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? To which Jonah replies, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. His reply is, any, is one any good Orthodox Jew would have made. But oh, it has a hollow ring, does it not? I worship the Lord. Really, Jonah? Here you are, in the middle of the sea, trying to escape the one you've just acknowledged made it. That's not very clever. And then again, he answers their questions, but not them all. He fails to tell them his job. He can't bear to say he's a prophet, for he has no word from God to give. Down, Jonah. Things are going down. Jonah's response only increases the sailors' fear, and they beg him to tell them what they must do to make the sea calm. Jonah's sin is exposed, his secret is out, he admits his guilt. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come on you. Is Jonah's willingness to sacrifice himself driven by a concern for the sailor's safety? Was this Jonah's final act of defiance against God? I would rather die than do what you asked me to do. Or was Jonah's confession a realization that he couldn't outrun God? The penny had dropped, 
Jonah finally grasped that the storm was God's megaphone to him to wake him up. But for Jonah, there seemed little point in going on. He felt that God had little more use, had no more use for him. It's better that his life ends here. At their wit's end, terrified by their, that by their actions they might be held accountable for killing an innocent man, they hurl him into the sea. Surely death is certain as the weight of his clothes drag him under. Down, Jonah, still going down. What a terribly sad picture as we see Jonah's life unraveling. From communion with Almighty God to total despair. Before I go on, can I ask, does, this, does what I've described here resonate with you? Are you listening and it seems that your life is unraveling? Are you tempted to give everything up at the very point of despair? Listen on, for this passage has a message of hope for you. Let's shift our focus to the sailors. As the ship left Joppa Harbor, fully laden with cargo, the crew on board had no idea what lay ahead. Time served mariners, they'd be expecting an easy passage, a fair wind, and a big paycheck at the end of it. When the storm explodes, it is of such ferocity and violence that their boat is in real danger of breaking up. Their immediate action, or reaction, is to cry out to their gods for help. They can tell right away that this is no ordinary tempest and that it must have a divine cause. Panic-stricken and with no divine assistance forthcoming, they throw their precious cargo overboard. No arguments, no let's ride this one out. No, every second was crucial, let's lighten the load. But even that doesn't work. Convinced there must be a reason for their predicament, but in total confusion, they decide to cast lots and leave things to chance. We shouldn't miss the irony here. Up on deck, these pagan sailors were looking for an answer when all the while the answer was to be found beneath their feet. The problem was the runaway prophet sound asleep below decks. As we've seen already, the lot falls on Jonah, and they challenge him to explain himself. But what is it about Jonah's reply that shook him to the core? What is it that terrified them? The name that Jonah had used was Yahweh, Jehovah. He had testified that the Lord is the transcendent God of heaven, the creator and sovereign of the sea and the land alike. At that moment, something stirred in the hearts of these men. Their reaction is one of disbelief. How can Jonah contemplate running from a god such as this? Once again, it's these pagan sailors who are seeing things correctly. They understand something which Jonah, in his disobedience, is blind to. Another Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, put it like this. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to to another, or my praise to idols. What follows is a cry of desperation. Jonah had done nothing to deserve their respect, but they stood in reverence of the God he claimed to serve. What should we do? How can we be saved? Throw me overboard, was Jonah's reply. Their response is to try to row 
to land. All these men, by their efforts, showed that they had more respect for the life of one man than Jonah had for all the people of Nineveh, all 120,000 of them. They tried their best, but soon realized that they stood no chance. It was futile to fight against God. And in their plea for mercy, they are the ones, not Jonah, who recognize God's sovereign right to act as he pleases. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Finally, they took Jonah at his word. What a miracle. But what mixed emotions must have been going through these sailors' minds? The sea became calm. What kind of God is this that even the winds and the waves are under his command? But at what a cost. This multinational crew of pagan mariners had just witnessed Jehovah, the true God, at work. It wasn't anything Jonah had done. He can take no credit for their salvation. No, these men saw the Lord and were miraculously saved. No wonder their response was one of worship. What a transformation. The Lord sent a great wind upon the sea, is how this passage began. And while we have looked at the contrasting fortunes of Jonah and the ship's crew, behind it all, God was working his purposes out. It was God who sent the storm. God who overruled a game of chance. God who sought out Jonah. God who saved the sailors. If you call yourself a Christian here this morning, let this passage be a real encouragement to you as you seek to live for Christ and witness to his saving grace. God has power to save the most unlikely people you know. There is nobody who is beyond his mercy, nobody who cannot be reached by his love. This story is about a storm. Storms happen to everyone at some point. Perhaps things are okay for you just now, but how are you going to cope when the crisis comes? The Bible makes it very clear repeatedly that the Christian life is not plain sailing. The test of our faith comes when times are tough. Our true characters are revealed not in the day-to-day routine of life, but in the storms when situations threaten to pull us under. What should we do when things feel like they're falling apart? To use another nautical image, at times like these we need anchors which will stabilize us in the storm. Can I briefly suggest three things for all of us, and I include myself in that, to remember? Over and over, the Bible says that wherever we are, God is with us. No matter what the situation we may face, God is with us in it. God's presence is precious. He is close by in the storms. We've seen that God had a purpose in this storm. For Jonah, it was to bring him to his senses. For the sailors, it brought them salvation. When we are hit by difficulties, remember this. God has a purpose and plan for your life too. You're not here on earth just to take up space. God has a plan beyond the storm. Our natural inclination is to ask why, and God welcomes that honesty. But don't focus on the problems more than on your purpose for living. 
as well as asking God why he allowed the storm, ask him how you should respond to it and what you can learn from it. Thirdly, God's promises. There are literally thousands of promises in the Bible, each of which are there to give us hope, to give us strength and comfort as when times are tough. Make a note of some. Memorize them. Make them your own so that you can bring them to mind when the storms hit. If you are here this morning and you remain unconvinced of the Christian message, I don't want to give you the impression that Christians don't mess up or that being a Christian is easy. But let me draw one final comparison. Jonah's sacrifice meant that these sailors survived the storm, that even despite his disobedience, God still brought salvation. At the center of the Christian message is the sacrifice of a man who didn't deserve to die. Jesus Christ, God's Son, willingly gave up his own life that we could be saved from God's judgment, brought into his family, and given eternal life. Are you trying to navigate through life's storms using your own efforts, a bit like the sailors who tried to row to land? My appeal to you this morning is stop, give up. It will not bring you what you need the most. God is still extending his offer of salvation. God brought Jonah to a point of desperation where he admitted his sin. Perhaps that's where you are today. Accept God's free offer of salvation. Admit you've been running in the wrong direction. Turn to God and ask him to forgive you. I'm going to give you a short time to think over what you've heard and then I'll pray before handing back to Ian and our musicians. The song we're going to sing is Amazing Grace. Its author was a slave trader called John Newton. Newton had lived an immoral life, but it, as it, but it was turned around in March 1748 in the middle of a storm at sea. As his ship, the Greyhound, fought to stay afloat, Newton took the helm for 11 hours at the height of the storm. And having time later to reflect on his life, he wrote, I thought there never was such a sinner as myself. I concluded at first that my sins were too great to be forgiven. But forgiven he was. And that's why he could write these famous words. So let's be quiet for a moment and then I'll pray. Father God, I thank you that you are still seeking the lost, extending your grace and mercy to all who would but, but admit their sinfulness and call on you. Thank you that your son willingly gave his own life as a sacrifice for all humanity, that anyone who believes in him will be saved, and in doing so will cross over from death to life. I pray that that might be the experience of someone here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Sing those words together.